0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themed theories, and more! Today's bonus
1: episode is taking a break from the Empyrean series and diving right into nostalgia, the wizarding world of Harry Potter. We are going to cover fun facts and insights, including some of the fandom's lingering questions, dive into wild Harry Potter theories, and share what this series
0: means to us along the way. We are so excited to have Andrew from the OG Harry Potter podcast, MuggleCast, joining us on today's
1: episode. But before we begin this awesome conversation with Andrew, please listen closely. To our content warning. Most importantly, we will have spoilers for all of Harry Potter. Everything from all seven books, eight films, any other source material, I'll actually say, especially source
0: material for today's episode, it is all on the table. So if you don't know why we will be speculating how, in the love of God, three out of the four Marauders became anime guy, then please. Go finish the books and then come back. We will be here after your (laughs) 4,224-page journey. Next up, this podcast is rated
1: R. We, a fantasy fangirls, are adults who say adult things using adult words. Not about
0: an adult book, though, today, I suppose. You might be asking, fantasy fangirls, this is a YA series. How can it be rated R? Watch me. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Also, a quick reminder that if you love Fantasy Fangirls and you want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more content, more community connection, discounts on merch, early access to episodes, and more please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, Cadets and Dragon Riders. The link is in the show notes or YouTube
1: captions, depending how you're listening. And really and truly, thank you so much for helping us bring these episodes to you. It means the world to us.
0: And last thing before we open this Harry Potter episode, it is deeply important to us that we address the conflicting feelings that come with this fantasy series.
1: First and foremost Nicole and I, we firmly stand against its author. It's really hard because Harry Potter is rooted in our love for fantasy and we're doing our best to navigate its positive influence on our lives and reading journeys and simultaneously disassociate from the author and her hurtful beliefs that we strongly disagree with. Harry Potter and the Wizarding World continue to have such a huge impact on so many of our lives and these books and characters offer lasting lessons along with bringing magic and a sense of wonder into our lives no matter how old we are. Harry Potter is so much bigger than its author and that's what we're here to discuss today. We at Fantasy Fangirls prioritize and celebrate inclusion and always want our podcast and community to be a safe space for all of us to share our love for fantasy.
0: And now it is time to enter the magical world of Harry Potter with Andrew Sims. Welcome, welcome, welcome Andrew to Fantasy Fangirls,
2: thank you so much. This is surreal for me too because I was seeing y'all on TikTok for months and then I find out a mutual acquaintance of ours, your producer, Hayden, is helping you. I'm like, what? How? What a small world! And then we started talking, and you two came on MuggleCast, and now I'm on this show. It's wonderful. And you two have done such a great job. I'm already, like, going off on (laughs) how impressive it all is, but you two have done such a great job with launching a podcast and, like, blowing it up. It's so impressive, because everybody's like, how do we make our podcast popular? You two figured it out. Well done. (laughs) Well done.
0: I think 35 seconds into an episode is the earliest I've ever cried. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean all of it, though. I I mean all of it. And yes. so I'm very excited to be here for all these reasons and more.
1: We are so excited to have you. We were saying when we were on MuggleCast, we were on, what, Chapter 7, Barty and Crouch, when we were doing the deep dive of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. MuggleCast was the very first podcast I ever listened to, because you all were, like, up and going back even before Deathly Hallows came out. And, like, you were, like, doing the midnight releases before any of us were doing this with Crescent City and Iron Flame and whatnot. And so it's like, talk about OG. Like, you are OG, and I love it.
2: Yeah, we got into podcasting really early. Early, it was spun off of MuggleNet, which was the biggest Harry Potter fan site at the time. I sort of asked the team, should we do a podcast? Like, I listen to podcasts. I think they're cool. It could work for Harry Potter. We didn't know, of course, what it would turn into, but people loved it because we became a resource for people. We became people's Harry Potter friends. Like, even myself, going through high school at the time, I didn't have friends at school who, like, talked about Harry Potter. Being a nerd wasn't as cool back then. And so we were kind of that outlet for people to ex- escape to, to find people like themselves through podcasting. So it's just been an amazing experience and we're still doing it. We're hitting our 19th anniversary this August, which is also very meaningful for Harry Potter fans. Cause of course the epilogue 19 years later. So
0: are you guys doing anything special for your 19th anniversary?
2: We haven't really thought about it yet. We'll come up with some cool merch, but other than that, I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, we'll keep an eye out because I definitely need a Muggle Cast hat. Yeah,
2: like, I'm oh. like eyeing
1: your beanies. And it's like, Wait. I think I need one. <laughs>
2: OK, I'll send you to a beanie. I'll send you a beanie for sure. Okay, oh my I'll gosh,
1: get fangirling is so hard right now. It's not even
2: funny. <laughs> They're oh really good gosh. beanies, too. I'm very I, I
0: bet. That. Like, I've been looking at your social media and every single time it's like, oh my gosh, I have to get one. <laughs> well, Andrew, we would love to have you kind of take the mic for a second and just give a little bit about you, about MuggleCast, about your journey with Harry Potter. We'd love to know all the juicy deets.
2: Yeah, so... I was first introduced to Harry Potter back in fourth grade. My fourth grade teacher read *Sorcerer's Stone* to our class. And- I was just
1: in third grade. That is literally how. And then she was reading it too slow, and I was like, "Screw this!" So I went and re- I bought it myself, and I finished it in like a few days. Sorry, okay, keep going. I'm so <laughs> no, excited. No, no, that's you have awesome. story as me. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, that's so funny. Uh, so yeah, I got into Harry Potter through my fourth grade teacher, and then from what I recall. Basically, right after she finished reading the book to us, I remember going to, it was either Borders or Barnes & Noble, and Chamber of Secrets had just been released. I still remember seeing it at the front of the store. I was like, whoa, perfect timing. So I grabbed it, and that's how I got into the books. And then I started my own Harry Potter fan site around that same time, 2002, 2001, something like that. And then I, saw, I heard about MuggleNet, which, again, like I said, very popular Harry Potter fan site. I wanted to get involved there. Long story short, got my foot in the door there. Launched Mugglecast. I've been in love with podcasting ever since as well. So I've done a podcast on Twilight called Imprint. I did a podcast on The Hunger Games for a little while. I started getting more involved with podcasting. I now edit and consult for others. So podcasting really is my bread and butter right now. That's where it all came together for me. And then I heard about Fourth Wing last year. I was like, dang, this series is popular. We were talking on Mugglecast with you two about. If, if it's the next Harry Potter or like Twilight, Hunger Games, We had a good discussion there. But oh, and funnily enough, and like kind of coincidentally, but not really, I just finished Iron Flame last night. So Uh I'm ready to dive into your podcast.
0: (laughs) How are you emotionally after that finish? I
2: I was shocked. As I I was expecting to be rocked, because after what happens at the end of Fourth Wing, um, I was expecting a similarly large cliffhanger. And yeah, I'm still digesting it. But I'm excited now to finally dive into all the theories that I'm sure people have been sharing online over the last couple of months.
1: Oh, hey, Andrew, I think we have a podcast on that. I think we have a podcast. This
2: <laughs> I can't wait to listen. I Seriously, that's one of the things I've been looking forward to finishing reading so I could finally listen to your recaps of Iron Flame. So I'm very excited to dive into that.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're so excited to have you here today. Fun fact. So you were part of MuggleNet. I also had a Harry Potter website. It was like an RPG. And you all know me and my archive section. So of course, I had to make sure that the world building was 280 AT and super detailed. So I would use MuggleNet. As well as other Harry Potter fan sites that had, you know, like those like Wikipedia sort of things on it. And I definitely use that as one of my source materials. So,
2: oh, that's so cool. What was the name of your RPG? Immortal Magic. Immortal Magic. Cool. That's a very sweet name. My original Harry Potter fan site was called HarryPottersHouse.com with the slogan (laughs) You love Harry Potter, now visit his home. And like 12 year old (laughs) me was very proud of this slogan.
1: I love it. Andrew, I have a feeling you and I probably crossed paths when we were like middle schoolers.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. If not in person then in like a forum or something.
1: Oh, definitely. <laughs> Some definitely. Chat room. <laughs> Well, so Andrew, I know that Nicole and I have mentioned with our listeners before, like what house we are, what our Patronuses are, but before we get really into the deep stuff here with our Harry Potter episode, let's all three of us go around and share some of our favorite things. Hogwarts house is kind of like a little get to know us sort of thing when it comes to Harry Potter. Andrew, let's hear from you first. What is your Hogwarts house?
2: I am a very proud Slytherin, and I'm wearing the the sweater today, but I did show up to this recording without it, so thank you, Nicole and Lexi, for inspiring me to go grab this sweater really quick. <laughs> I was like, what was I thinking? So yes, I'm a, a Slytherin. I bought this in 2017. That is the year I converted to Slytherin. I used to be a Gryffindor. I went through a breakup, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be bad now. So I decided to just go for it, and and that's how we ended up. <laughs> it just stuck. <laughs>
1: I have so many other questions that are so not related to the
2: podcast. My Patronus, when I took the quiz on Pottermore, I forget which one I got and I can't log in anymore, but I've decided my Patronus is an orca because I loved orca whales as a kid. I loved the movie Free Willy as a kid. So I just think this idea of an orca whale being your Patronus is the coolest thing ever.
0: I can just imagine it like coming out of the wand and just like Boom.
2: Like, are <laughs> right, like body slamming like a Snorlax or something.
0: <laughs> the tail goes, wabow, pow to the Dementors.
2: <laughs> My favorite Hogwarts class Defense Against the Dark Arts. I think it's just so badass. I, I really appreciate it. And I loved, in a way, the revolving door of professors every year. I kept things interesting. And then, favorite <laughs> character. Dumbledore, I've just always loved Dumbledore, his power, his intelligence. As a gay person myself, I appreciate that Rowling, even though I have problems with her, did decide at some point to make him gay. I just his relationship with Harry, his management of the school, as we'll get into later, I actually appreciate as well. So I just I don't know. I've always really connected with Dumbledore and I've always appreciated his lines in the series and the yeah. wisdom that he he would share.
0: Oh love that. I love that I love too. That. Yeah. My Hogwarts house is Gryffindor. If you're watching on YouTube, you see my proud Gryffindor sweatshirt. My Patronus is a stoat. I took the quiz on Pottermore and saw stoat and I was like, what the fuck is a stoat? I have no idea what this (laughs) little creature is. So I Googled it and quote, the stoat is an opportunistic predator that moves rapidly and checks every available burrow or crevice for food. And I have never felt more seen by a Wikipedia article in my life. (laughs) My favorite class would be charms. I'm a very practical person, plus Accio you learn in charms class. And I would just use that day in and day out. Side note, I was scrolling through TikTok last night and I saw that someone instead of like, for like for their dog instead of like come here said Akio and it was like a training of the dog learning how to like come to Akio it was amazing and then favorite character for me it's got to be Hermione she is so strong she is such an awesome female lead to look up to she's super smart plus they would have been dead in book one if it weren't for her so I honestly owed Harry Potter's life to Hermione Granger
2: Accurate. Uh,
0: Yep, absolutely. (laughs) All right, so my Hogwarts house is Hufflepuff. I am definitely a Hufflepuff
1: with some Ravenclaw tendencies. And let's see, my Patronus is, okay, so according to Pottermore, it's a wildcat but I self-identify as a horse. I grew up just absolutely loving horses and I really just have such a connection with them. And so when I think about what my Patronus is, I definitely think it would be more of a horse, a little bit of like a free spirit, but, and likes to go run and play, but also can be focused, Can be centered. Knows when to get the job done, and let's see. My favorite class. Oh my gosh, that's such a hard one because I am torn between Transfiguration, Charms, Potions, and then Andrew, you mentioned Defense Against the Dark Arts, which I can't believe I completely forgot. So if we're talking about when Lupin is teaching it, then that would also have to go in there. So I pretty much just listed like half the curriculum there.
0: (laughs) Everything except for Herbology.
1: (laughs) I'm not a Herbology. Apologies to Herbology fans. I think that potions is really underrated being great at potions opens up a whole new realm of magic to you so i don't know if i'd be any good at potions because i'm terrible at following recipes so i'd probably pull like a half blood prince and make my own adjustments i don't think it would actually work out better than the original potion and probably do more of like a seamus finnegan and blow up in my face but you know what i you never know until you try favorite character you know I think I might be right there with you, Nicole, when it comes to Hermione. It was so great as a little girl growing up with her as such a strong and smart female character. And you just always like really looked at her not only as a role model, but also just like as a relevant best friend, too. And I just really loved her. I'm also going to go with someone who I feel like very few people actually say. And that is Harry Potter himself. You know, I always Ooh. joke that he is my platonic book boyfriend. Not my, actually my boyfriend, <laughs> but my platonic book friend. And, you know, if we're going to go with who I'm crushing on, obviously it's Bill Weasley. Like, come on now. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but I absolutely adore Harry. He's a great friend. He's got a great moral compass. He's got good clapbacks. Oh, my gosh. In Order of the Phoenix, he is just spot on. And he's so brave and so selfless. And I just really love Harry. That's love super
0: that. fair. I love yeah. that, too. Mm-hmm. That is true. Not a lot of people do say Harry. I feel like it's because it's like, that's the obvious answer. But Harry is yeah. a really well-written character.
2: Yeah. I, and yeah, when you come I up with a him. good explanation as to why he's your favorite character like this, then it works. That's kind of how I feel about Dumbledore, too. Like, so many yeah. people might say Dumbledore. I feel a little strange bringing it up. But I'm sticking with it at this point. I've been in this fandom a while. I can say what I want.
1: Yeah. <laughs> exactly you you have earned your right for Dumbledore to be
0: your favorite
2: yeah I put it I did my time
0: let's Uh, dive into some Harry Potter fun facts and insights
1: So while this might not be a chapter-by-chapter or even a book-specific Harry Potter deep dive, one of the best things about the Wizarding World is that there is so much supplemental information that you can learn by going down, oh, so many rabbit holes. I am sure all three of us have gone down hours and days and maybe even years' worth of rabbit holes at this point. So let's just dive right into the Wizarding World with fun facts, insights, and some favorite
0: speculations that we can just have some real fun with here. So number one's a nice, fun, lighthearted one, and that is after the seventh years graduate, they return to the Hogwarts Express on boats, mirroring how they arrived on the boats their first year to symbolize a full circle of their education.
2: I was blown away by this. I didn't know this. (laughs) Where did you see this?
1: I I can't remember my exact source, but it is on the internet and it is confirmed by the author that it is correct. Because I was wondering, like, they never have like any kind of graduation ceremony or anything like that. Of course they have, you know, like the end of the year with the house points and who's awarded the house cup, but there's no like huzzah that the seventh year's graduated. And I was a little bit sad for them because We've all gone through our education and gosh darn it, you should deserve some kind of recognition. And so so I looked it up because that was keeping me up at night. And sure enough, that's the answer. (laughs) Keeping
2: you up at night. Well, I also love this because in Goblet of Fire, when the first years are taking their boats to the school, it's pouring rain. And we were actually talking about this on MuggleCast the other day. We were saying like, those poor kids, they're getting drenched. Why did they have to take the boats that year? Colin's brother falls into the lake, the giant squid pushes them back out. And we were just like, wow, that's terrible, poor guy. And, and this is a terrible way to start your term at, at Hogwarts. But now here's like, I still feel bad, but they hopefully when they do this in their seventh year after they graduate, they'll have a much drier experience and then they'll have a better memory of taking those boats. So that makes me sleep better at night, knowing those first years in Harry's fourth year will get a drier experience.
0: I love that I sure scene because so. it's Dennis just being wrapped in Hagrid's cloak and it's just <laughs> dry. like imagine wearing a wet blanket. That sounds yeah. terrible.
1: <laughs> Wait, We're no, I it. thought that the coat that was dry because he was oh. completely wet. Oh, I Which, thought it was by just the to way, keep him
0: warm, like to keep little Dennis Creevy from shaking. because it was. Like it weird. is, yeah. but, but it was a, a dry, dry coat. Oh, thank God. Was- that makes me feel <laughs> a lot better. That'll help me sleep better at night. Yay. <laughs> I would just
2: go straight up to those Hogwarts fireplaces once I was in and like, please drive me. I wouldn't be concerned about that coat personally. I would take that off and just dry up next to the fireplace
1: or McGonagall when she's doing her little spiel about the Hogwarts houses she could be like oh you look a little wet honey and then use her wand to dry them off because we know that spell exists too maybe it's just part of the experience right that you gotta come in as you are
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) miserable cold wet depressed but hey that builds some character in in you kid
1: it's the 90s after all (laughs) So the next really fun fact is that magic is genetic, which means that every muggle-born has at least one squib in their family tree. So I imagine that there are actually a lot of wizards and witches throughout history who just blend into muggle society and hide their magical identity or choose muggle life. So from that perspective, I'm actually really surprised that there are not more muggle-borns because of how I'll say that how many magical people are in so many family trees. Yes.
2: But that also concerns me. Aren't they suppressing their magic then? Which we see in Fantastic Beasts and what can happen there. They turn into an Obscurus.
1: I think of it more as like a, when, like for instance, there's Lily and Petunia and Petunia is, it just is not magical herself, but obviously within their family line, within their family blood, somebody must have been and Lily was the one who got those magical powers
2: oh I see I think that's
0: how it is this is why they need a 23 in me but just for the wizarding world so that they can find out like who did I get my magic from This
1: also means that there are traces of magical blood in Petunia's family line, like we were just saying, and theoretically, Dudley's child could be a witch or wizard. So in fact, he was originally supposed to, in the epilogue, when they were all going to see each other at Platform 9 and 3 quarters, he was going to be there with his child, sending them off on the Hogwarts Express. However, this idea was ultimately scraped because Vernon Dursley's anti-magicalness would completely squash any possibility of magic in that continuing family line.
0: You just exploded my brain right now. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) I would have liked that because Dudley does try to ever so slightly make amends with Harry by the end. So this could have been a touching cherry on the cake if he also had a child who was going to Hogwarts. And then he sort of got like a Hogwarts experience through his child.
1: I would have loved that just so much. We know that Harry and Dudley, they're on like sending each other Christmas card relationship status. So it's like, yeah, they acknowledge each other and every now and then their families will see each other. But it's a very, I'll say, cordial family relationship.
0: I'm (laughs) sad by that. I wish it was more. I wish it was more of a buddy-buddy or like at least, you know, like maybe spend Thanksgiving together every other year.
2: That could have been something that was explored more in Cursed Child, too, by the way. I know people have very mixed thoughts on the whole storyline <laughs> in there. But it did answer some questions like that in terms of relationships post-Deathly yeah. Hallows. Thinking about Draco and Harry. They had a, an yes. all right relationship. They were on speaking terms, at least. But it'd be nice, too, if Dudley showed up. And I don't know. They were... Uh, I don't know. They get coffee together every Friday or something like that.
0: Well, okay, I so now that. I have to ask. Have you seen Cursed Child?
2: Oh, or yeah. have you just
0: read it? Oh, fine. Oh, no. How was it?
2: Uh, yeah. It's really good. And I think maybe this is why I have a better impression of it than other people. So, yes, when you do just read the script, you're like, what <laughs> the fuck is this? <laughs> but when you see it, the magic on stage really is so impressive that you understand. And really, it's just all about the theatrics. It's about what you're witnessing on stage. There's magic that's happening that makes you go, how the hell are they pulling this off? So... I get it if you're just reading it and I still even if you see it you're still like this story is busy and convoluted but it is a good time in the theater.
1: Nicole, yeah. we really do have to see this because it came out in what 2016. Nicole was visiting me. I was living in California at the time and so we did our usual midnight release. We were so excited. I had been counting down the days. I had never been so excited for something since Deathly Hallows. Yeah. And then I read it. I stayed up all night and I finished it at five o'clock in the morning and I had like a bad book hangover. Not the good kind that you get after Fourth Wing or after Akatar, but like the bad one where it's like what the fuck fuck did I just read like and I took to Amazon and I wrote a scathing review
2: oh and
1: it turned out to be one of the biggest ones at, le- at least at the time I have not checked it in a long time but it made me feel a lot better as I just ranted about how it read like a bad Harry Potter fiction and that I've written better Harry Potter f- than fiction
2: and like, like a lot of I people would, were okay yeah, okay yeah
1: like There's a helpful there's a helpful sign for it and that's oh my amazing. gosh I, I just went off on it and I will still talk but I also have to give that disclaimer because I understand that it is really meant to be seen as in the theater as a play and because it is all of the magic that comes to life in such a cool way that there's no way of seeing on, in the script. So I will save my full-blown curse Child bashing until or hopefully I can change that perspective <laughs> <laughs> when I actually see the play one of these days.
2: Yeah, We'll
0: get there. We'll get there someday.
2: It is going on tour so it might just come yes. to you. Yeah. They haven't announced dates and whatnot, but I think starting later this year or in 2025. It's hitting the road soon.
1: Our time has come. Our time has come. (laughs) (laughs) You think we can write that off as like a tax expense?
0: Absolutely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If if you're going to (laughs) review it on the show, yeah. Yes.
1: All right, moving on. So this one is more of my own speculation, but I'm going to call it canon. We all know that Quidditch has a ridiculous scoring system. And I am convinced that this is because it was originally played on much slower brooms. I came to this realization while playing Hogwarts Legacy, flying around on my broom. That is definitely not a firebolt, and it makes me think that the scoring system would make this more balanced. It would take longer to get the snitch, and therefore that's why games lasted so much longer. So therefore, there's more reliance on the skill of the chasers.
2: That's interesting. And yet, uh, by the way, Quidditch, well, there's no Quidditch in Hogwarts Legacy, but broom flying could be so much better in Hogwarts Legacy. For starters, when they're on the broom, they just look so stiff. But what annoys me about Quidditch is that a team can basically give up by catching the snitch, even if catching the snitch means you're going to lose because the other team is so far ahead. But catching the snitch automatically ends the game. I feel like that shouldn't be allowed. What's the point of just giving up?
0: Okay, so that like, opens up the question then why did Victor Crum catch the snitch in the Quidditch World Cup when Ireland was far ahead of them and they didn't then Bulgaria didn't even win in the first place? I think that cuz it's explained
1: that it was because he knew that they were going that Ireland was just absolutely going to win so he wanted to end it essentially on his terms so that the score could be as close as possible. Oh. But now okay. that I think about that, I think that that might have been a crumb where it's like all right, well, I know that our team is going to lose, so I might as well get the final word in so to speak there. That's what I was leaning towards. But to Andrew's point, that kind of is Giving up or that's not trusting your team to do what they're supposed to.
2: Yes. What does that say about your teammates? I'm gonna go catch this because y'all suck I'm not gonna waste any more time. I got a Quidditch World Cup after party to get to. I wanna hit I wanna hit the dance floor and drink. Yeah, it it, it really bugs me. And I guess it's not necessarily about the spectators, but the Quidditch World Cup is a massive worldwide event. You're you're throwing in the towel for the people who came in to see you? I just I well, would be so like, disappointed.
0: This can last up to a week. This can, this can last forever. Yeah. And it's like after an hour, comes like, I'm done. I need my water. I need my game. <laughs> Not
2: right. lasting a week for me. I'm out of here.
1: I have other questions just while we're on that. Why did Arthur only book it for one night when it could have easily been for longer than that? Like, that's my question. But that's getting off topic here. <laughs>
2: he teamed up with Crumb. He was like, hey, make sure this uh, goes real quick because I only booked a single night.
1: And that's how Fred and George to bet on that because they were all in it together ah <laughs> uh, yes it's all coming
2: together
0: get the three of us together and we will theorize this entire book series <laughs> I love
2: time. making like new canon and just like hoping it somehow makes its way onto one of these Harry Potter Wikipedias or something though. Barty
0: Crouch's boat <laughs> We were talking yes. about it on MuggleCast. Oh,
2: ahoy! <laughs> we were. That was a great moment.
0: Okay, so this was one of the questions that I had reading, uh, specifically *Prisoner of Azkaban*. Is how do you become an animagus? And they goodness we learn how to do so. So friendly reminder of what Animagus is in case you're like I don't remember that in the canon. This is a person in the Wizarding World who can transform into an animal. Minervan McGonagall, Rita Skeeter, James Sirius, everyone like that. Thank you WizardingWorld.com for this info. So are you guys ready to learn how to become Animagus? Anime guy, anime girl. am yes.
1: Just gonna say Nicole's taking over the archive section right here. Apparently. <laughs> so step one,
0: you must carry a single mandrake leaf in your mouth for an entire month. This is step one. From full moon to full moon, you keep that mandrake leaf in your mouth. If you swallow it, or if it falls out when you sleep, you have to start again the next full moon.
2: This is. A, I'm already done. I'm tapping out. I can't do this. This is too much. I mean. A single mandrake leaf, what does that taste like, by the way, in your mouth for a whole month, and then you sound like you're like chewing gum for a month straight every time you talk? And how do you brush your teeth with that?
0: How did Peter Pettigrew answer any questions in class? Like, I could see James and Sirius figuring out how to like answer questions in class around this, but Peter Pettigrew's an idiot. How did he figure <laughs> out how to keep that in his mouth and also like answer a potions question in class? That's my gripe. As we go through all of this,
1: all I can envision is McGonagall going through this whole sequence and just like the <laughs> silliness of it, and her just being so serious and it's like. Do it for the cat. Do it for the
0: animagus. Do it for the animagus. <laughs> well, I hope she was It'll smart so enough cool. to do it outside of school where like you can take a month off and just like focus on this, you know? Yeah. During, so during like, the a the summer, summer holiday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. So Which, I'm not even done with step one. At the end of the full moon, <laughs> you find a small crystal file that receives pure rays of the moon. What does that mean? I don't know. And you put the saliva filled leaf inside plus one of your hairs. That is step one. A full month of a step step two is add to this vial a silver teaspoon of dew from a place that neither sunlight nor human feet have touched for seven
2: days
0: what guess what they're going into the forbidden forest
2: oh you have to (laughs) risk death too (laughs) how
0: do you know if that dew has not seen sunlight for seven days how would you do you have to just sit there and like stare at the dew and make sure it doesn't like evaporate
2: (laughs) well I like the forest idea like because the forest is so dense, no sun rays get down there. I'm thinking like in between two houses, maybe in like a city. I don't know, a, a backyard in Brooklyn probably doesn't get some sun in a certain spot. For I, I a week. bet there's
1: some like lower chamber, like or I bet there's like some herbology levels. Uh, again, yeah. all I can think about at this point is how Hogwarts legacy is laid out, and it's like okay, there's like the hidden corridor. I bet that there's. some <laughs>
0: Some dew (laughs) dew back there with all of the, what's it called? The snapping plant. Continuing with step two, you need to add the chrysalis of a, quote, death's dead hawk moth, don't know, to this crystal file. And then you need to put this crystal file in a quiet, dark place and leave it alone (laughs) until the next electrical storm. You cannot even look or think about this file until the next electrical storm so make sure you do this in the rainy months is all i have to say step three then while you're waiting for said thunderstorm from sunrise to sundown you have to speak the following incantation quote emato animo animato animagus say that five times fast with your (laughs) wand pointing at your heart and (laughs) nonstop chanting (laughs) From sunrise to sundown. I'm assuming this is every night until there's a thunderstorm. This is all while you're waiting for said thunderstorm. Okay,
1: this is where I'm truly surprised that the Marauders were able to do this. Like, I also just absolutely need the TV series of the Marauders. Like, that is a whole other tangent that I could go on. But again, going back to Minerva McGonagall, can we all just picture her doing this for, like,
2: days on end? You have to really, really, really want this. If you do successfully pull this off, it is quite an amazing feat that you can then show off. Not necessarily transforming, but just saying I'm an Animagus. And yeah, I did all that. I kept that mandrake leaf in my mouth for a month. It's an incredible su- achievement. My hat is off.
0: <laughs> I'm going to sound like such an asshole Gryffindor. I would do this in a fucking heartbeat. I would do all of, <laughs> of this work in he a heartbeat. <laughs> really? Why? To do Why? absolutely. Because, <laughs> like, imagine being an Animagus. That would be so cool. Now, here's the issue. Like, what if I transform and then I'm like a fish or a dolphin. And you have to be somewhere so specific to make that happen. Like you can't just like transform into like a dog. You know, it's like something super specific. That would suck. Like imagine yeah, and going And you through also all don't this. get to
1: choose what animal you're going to turn into. True. So that like can you imagine and we're not even done here. Nicole's not even done There's going one more step. through all of this and then becoming a rat. It's like wow.
2: Yeah. That or sucks. like a caterpillar or <laughs> Beetle? Know, a a be- yeah, a goldfish. There's so many. Right? There's so many animals. I, it's way too stoat? risky. I would love
0: to be a stoat. I would just eat. Nobody all knows what stone. you are.
2: They have to Google you to understand who you are. Oh
0: shoot! I just remembered
1: I was supposed to give Nicole a stoat stuffed animal for Christmas. Darn it. Oh, next year. You all right. I'll it. have to. Yeah. I'll have to get you a stoat stuffed animal. I'll have to go on to Etsy probably to buy it. I don't think they'll have that just in the store.
0: Probably not. And even then, they'll probably have to Google what a stone is before they make it for you. (laughs) All right, last step to becoming an Animagus. You've hidden your crystal file for however long. You've been chanting every single night, and finally, there's a thunderstorm. Now, what do you do? You go to the place where your file is hidden, and you'll discover about a mouthful amount of blood red potion inside. You're going to take that file and move somewhere where you're not going to endanger anyone. And under the thunderstorm, you place your wand against your heart again and you say Amato, Animo, Animato, Animagus, and you drink this potion. You're going to feel a great pain, awesome, and then if you've done it right, a double heartbeat. Then you will see the shape of your creature in your mind, and then (laughs) poof, you change. That is how you become an animagus. I love
1: the double heartbeat part. That is like my favorite thing about this whole process. And it's just so cool that it's like a creature, an animal now lives inside of you. And I'm glad that it's this difficult of magic, because otherwise everybody would do it.
2: That is cute I appreciate it from that perspective as well however as a hypochondriac I'd be like I'm having a heart attack or I'm having heart palpitations (laughs) like what is wrong with me
0: that is like Uh, imagine like you're so nervous because it's like oh my god I've been waiting for this for so long and your heart just starts beating really fast and you think it's happening but then you realize you did it wrong That'd be embarrassing. I have a heart condition.
2: If I was guaranteed to become an animal that could fly, I think this would be worth it. Otherwise, I can't really think of any animal superpowers, if you will, that are worth going through this whole process for. So I'll I'll, I'll do it with you, Nicole, if I'm promised I get to turn into a bird of some sort.
0: Spoken like a true Slytherin, I love that. (laughs) I, I will say on that note about like
1: not being able to choose who, what animal you are, I'm really impressed how everyone who does become an animagus in our story figures out useful ways of leveraging their animal. So of course, you know, like Rita Skeeter goes through all this trouble and then she ends up as a beetle. Like that would, like I was just saying, like that would suck. But then she really uses that for her snooping ways. And then same thing with Peter Pettigrew. He becomes a rat and at service level, that is an absolutely terrible animal to turn into. No offense to all of you who love rats. Like, Sure, All and two of you <laughs> listening, we <you> love rats. <laughs> but I like—I I would really hate to become one of those animals. But they take it in stride and they make the most out of these really shitty animals. And so, as much as I don't like either of their characters, well, Reed is actually a really fun character in and of her own way, but. I'm proud of them for making the most out of a really bad situation. While we're talking about animals, here's an adorable fun fact about Ron and Hermione's Patronuses. So Ron's Patronus is a Jack Russell Terrier, and that is a breed of dog known for hunting and chasing otters. And guess what Hermione's Patronus is? It's an otter, and it's just another little way of
0: linking the two of them through their Patronuses.
2: Oh, you know Ron's friend. always teasing her too, so that's kind of cute.
0: <laughs> Great A. Boyfriend, Ron Weasley. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> I know. I'm not to open up that care
2: worms. All right, so one that we bring up on MuggleCast quite a bit is the fact that Hogwarts is a chaotic security nightmare. A few years ago in Chicago, when I was living in Chicago, I was with a few friends and I was, actually it was Halloween and I was playing a Hogwarts hat stall. So I had like the Slytherin sweater on, I had like a Hufflepuff beanie, Gryffindor socks, you know, I couldn't decide, the sorting hat and I couldn't decide where to go. So I was just everything, I was a hat stall. Because of that, we got on the subject. This one person at the party brought up that Hogwarts is actually a security nightmare. I was like, huh. I did not really thought about that before, but you're right. And it kind of turned into a running joke on the show. This school, it's loosey-goosey, party time all the time. You can die tomorrow in an instant, whatever. You know, that's just how it is here. But just think of all the ways that it's it's dangerous, it's chaotic, it, there's very lax security. Just to name some examples from the books and the films. Staircases. They just move or they open up from under you unexpectedly. There's the Forbidden Forest right next to Hogwarts. It's literally got forbidden in the name, but so what? You know, it's just right there. The Triwizard Tournament, horribly dangerous and you're competing against a dragon even if you're not old enough to be able to do so. You can pop into places via the flu network at any given moment. Quidditch, very dangerous. The basilisk running around under the school. The monster book of monsters can just eat you. Like this is a textbook and it can just like eat you alive. Poor background checks on characters. It's just a mess at the school all the time, everywhere. However, I think Dumbledore actually loves chaos. And we were all talking about this a few weeks ago. I think it keeps things interesting for him and I think he kind of likes it that way at the school. He likes that Hogwarts is a little chaotic, especially because he's an old man, he's seen it all already. He he wants to have some fun. So what if Trelawney is predicting the impending death of a student? It instills some character in them. Why why bother telling parents that the Chamber of Secrets has been opened and they should pick up their students? It'll be fine. We'll get it. We'll figure it out eventually. It's just It's a mess, the whole school, but we love it that way.
0: I love it, yes. I I love this. All I can do is laugh. It's just so old that he's just like. I need some spice in my life. I need some <laughs> kind of entertainment. Oh, my God. Like, this is and, his version of, like, just daytime TV. I love yeah. this for
2: him. And for some reason, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy, when you poke him, he goes like, Ooh-hoo. I always picture Dumbledore making that noise when he's seeing some chaos go go on in the school. He's just like, here we go again. <laughs> Bring out the popcorn. This is going to be fun.
0: <laughs> Every time he walks into the hospital wing during Chamber of Secrets, he- ooh, like, ooh, some-
2: <laughs> who's injured today?
0: Crying? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I absolutely love it, especially because all of the reasons you just listed can
1: definitely be described as plot holes or very questionable plot devices and choices and all of that. But at the end of the day, of course, it's always entertainment, and you got to keep the story moving along somehow. But I just love the idea that wizards do just love chaos, and they embrace it. And there is just such a chaotic element to magic already, and it really is a running theme of the book. And I absolutely love that. It's canon to me now that wizards just love
2: chaos. (laughs) (laughs) And I challenge listeners, when when you reread Harry Potter... Now that you have this in your head, I think you'll start noticing all the security nightmares and just how ridiculous it is if you haven't already. And like you're saying, like I, I love all of this. I'm not like mad about it. I think it's great, but it's something you might not notice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I
1: read the like reread the first Harry Potter book, y- you all know that I can get a little bit hung up on with the practicality of things, and I'm just like. This is not practical in and of the slightest. First of all, who is feeding Fluffy? And why can a first year <laughs> use Mora to then get in? Like lots of questions. I'm not going to go there right now. But again, it's just that element of excitement and chaos and just the funness of it. And, and again, it's, it's meant to be YA. It's meant to be enjoyed by kids. And then I just love how the books increasingly get more and more mature as all three of us, you know, we were also growing up right alongside Harry and crew. And I just absolutely love that we were able to grow up with him with those themes and things like that.
2: Yeah. And one of the beautiful things about Harry Potter is that when we do read it at our age now, we get different things out of it that we weren't when we were kids. I think that's Mm -hmm. been a real fun aspect of rereading the books.
0: Well, here's something that I was like absolutely blind to when I was reading it. I didn't really read it when I was a kid. I wanted to be like Lexi, so I pretended to read it, but I really just watched the movies thinking that was supplemental. But then when I was older, I finally like read them, read them. And my first time through reading through specifically about like Jenny and Harry talk about our R-rated podcast, I was like, they did not sleep together. Absolutely not. There is no world where this happened. and then I started rereading it again and I was like oh my god oh my god and just like the illusion was shattered I was just absolutely <laughs> ruined <laughs> after that there's that one line about the things that happened like in like hidden
1: corridors and stuff yes. like that and I was like oh my god was Jenny giving him a blowjob?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, I was always like, did they fuck against the like the trees against like you know the <laughs> lake and stuff like that. That's what I was always hearing. And- you know that
1: Molly and Arthur definitely did the way that they were sneaking out in the middle of the night all the time. Oh. <laughs> so a common question that we frequently hear about the Wizarding World and whatnot is why do wizards and witches wear glasses when they can do magic? For instance, Harry, McGonagall, Dumbledore, plenty of characters in this book series wear glasses. However, they should theoretically be. Able to fix that with magic. So I'm going to take my stab at this. And again, none of this is like absolute canon. This is simply speculation. But for one, it is documented that most muggle ailments can be cured with magic, but it's more difficult for magical injuries and illnesses to be healed. So you would think that means eyesight falls under a muggle issue. So there should be a spell or a potion to get 20 20 vision. But Fixing someone's vision is so specific to their precise eyesight that I'm thinking if a way to do so did exist, it would be an immensely difficult bit of magic that needs to be catered to the absolute T for every single individual. Not to mention, like all of that just sounds super risky. Maybe no one has dared to invent a spell or a potion because of the risk to eyes, or at least they haven't invented it yet. Now, total sideline here... My big question when it comes to healing powers is, why could Snape not magically heal his own leg after Fluffy attacked him? He contained the Gaunt Ring Horcrux curse so it wouldn't kill Dumbledore right there. And he couldn't stop his own leg from bleeding after a bite, like multiple days later. I'm just.
0: He wanted to be cool. He needed to, like, not ruin his reputation. And he needed, like, that slight limp to, you know, keep the bad boy image going. That's my
1: head. To really make Quirrell feel like any little bit of guilt or something like that, because he knew it was his fault. I don't know.
2: (laughs) I like your points about eyesight. And I certainly understand where you're coming from. But I'm also just thinking they have Skelegro and it's a painful experience to regrow bones. It's true. But if they have that, I have to think that they could fix your eyesight as well. My gut tells me maybe they just want to keep wearing glasses. Maybe it is possible, but some people like glasses for the look. I like when people are wearing glasses. I think it can add a lot to a look. I like a person in glasses, Lexi.
1: I, I was just gonna say, I am talking about this right now, and I literally only wear glasses because I am terrified of putting contacts in. Like I am that person who's like,
2: Oh,
1: and i I can't do it. So that's why I wear glasses all the time. I, I'm like, not even
2: willing to try. <laughs> to put I have some blue in. light glasses here and Ooh. I like wearing them sometimes cuz they make me look more studious. So I'm just <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I are those blue we have light? The Nicole, same blue
0: light glasses.
2: <laughs> <laughs> These are Felix Gray's. Did you get them from Felix Gray?
0: These are Amazon. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: all I got. I'm going to flip this on its lid because then if they were too afraid to do any magical eyesight surgery or whatever, then imagine wizards getting LASIK. Like, would they be able to go and do that? And if so, Mr. Weasley wears glasses. I want you to imagine Mr. Weasley going to get LASIK surgery. He would be like, oh, my God. He would be so excited. unbelievably he would be. excited.
2: But I, would he screw it up? Because he'd be so oh, excited. Absolutely. He would yeah. be
0: vibrating. He'd be so excited. They be like, <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> On the topic of Arthur Weasley, I once saw a,
1: it wasn't a meme, but one of those, you know, like forms that are screenshotted or whatever. I don't know what it's called. And it was about how Harry and Jenny's kids and how they go to like probably a muggle school, you know, like before they go to off to Hogwarts and how they have like a, you know, elementary school science project. And then they all have like the big science cl- what's it called like the ceremony the awards the presentations whatever that looks like and you know the kids got like a volcano or one of those you know fun things like that and arthur weasley being a proud grandpa like comes in and it's just like can you imagine him at an elementary school science f- science fair that's what it's called a science fair and uh, just like how giddy he would be
2: he'd be in heaven It'd be like oh. Muggles going to the Wizarding World theme parks.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> With our wands. Have,
2: yes. Have you two been to the Wizarding World park, by
1: the I way? I have not. Anyone? Lexi has. Okay. I haven't. I, I did in 2019. My husband and I, we flew out for Christmas, and he proposed to me, and it was very exciting. We'd been together for five years at that point, and then two days later, he took me to Universal Studios in California, and it was snowing, or their version of snowing, like not actual real snow, but it was like the Christmas edition there and I oh. cried on three different occasions it was the best Aww. weekend of my entire life like my boyfriend of a long time proposed and I had a gorgeous ring and I was yeah. at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and it was Christmas time and to this day the family still calls it Lexmas because it was Lexi's <laughs> big Christmas <laughs>
2: That's so sweet. I love that.
0: I'm assuming you've been, Yes,
2: I've, I've been to the Orlando and Hollywood ones. I was living very close to the Hollywood one before it opened. So as soon as I heard they started testing it, did like a soft launch, I was there. I was in the, the hog's head having a butterbeer, and I was just yeah. living my best life. I bought this sweater at the uh, Wizarding World theme park, oh and they're working gosh. on another land now in Orlando. So yeah, well, it's good. I gonna, know it, that. Yeah, in that new third park that they're building, Epic Universe. Mm-hmm. And but it's going to be like it's going to be like a bit of Fantastic Beasts, which okay, it's going to be like French, which is a little right. odd because Fantastic Beasts has been canceled, so it's a little strange. But apparently there's going to be an a big new attraction with Umbridge. So we'll see what they're actually doing. None of the details have been announced. I'm just sharing all the rumors, but <laughs>
1: wow, I will yeah. have to keep an eye on that. I have never been to Orlando, at least for Disney World or for Universal Studios or anything like that. But oh my gosh, I okay. want to so badly because yes, there's like Hogsmeade at the California version, but I want to go to Diagon Alley. I want to see the big green gods with the dragon and or I'm sorry, excuse me, the Wyvern, Nicole. And (laughs) (laughs) just like freak out.
2: And the two lands are connected by the Hogwarts Express, which is really (gasps) amazing. I didn't know that. Oh, Nicole,
1: we might need to make this happen. Something expensive. <laughs> this is expensive. <laughs> so, another question that we've all wondered before is how many Defense Against the Dark Arts professors were there when the position was cursed? Because we know that there was only one per year, and it was over a whole lot of years. Now, I will say the quick caveat to this is Quirrell. It definitely seems like he had previously been the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. While I think that it was a little bit of a later in the books add on there, it has been confirmed that he had taught muggle studies previously and then was going to be teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts. So that technically was his only year of teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts, even though he had previously been a professor. So let's figure out this number here because you all know I did the math. All right. So let's (laughs) back it up and walk through the full timeline. Tom Riddle graduated from Hogwarts and asked Professor Dippett, the headmaster at the time, for the job in 1945. Dumbledore became headmaster between 1965 and 1971. How do we know this timeline? Because he was not headmaster yet when Remus Lupin got bitten, which was in 1965, and he was headmaster when Remus started attending school in 1971. So that's how we get that range there. I'm personally inclined to think that there were a few years between Dumbledore becoming headmaster and these Remus Lupin events. So let's call it 1968 plus or minus a year where he hadn't like just that year become headmaster or just that year not been headmaster or or whatnot. So let's just say 1968 plus or minus a year. Now, Voldemort rose to power in 1970, which means he would have come to Dumbledore for asking about the position before this year, but he still came after Dumbledore became headmaster. So again, that 1968 plus or minus a year is right there. This is 10 years after he disappeared after killing Hetzpa Smith and stealing the founder's magical objects. So The range here is between 1967 and 1969 is when he cursed the job and then Voldemort dies in 1998. This means that there were between 29 and 31 Defense Against the Dark Arts
0: teachers in the cursed position. I'm so impressed by you right now. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) And this is another thing. Security nightmare. Shouldn't they yeah, right. be notified as they come into as their kid comes in the Hogwarts? By the way, we've got a cursed position here. God only knows what the hell this professor is gonna be up to this year. Dumbledore, again, loving the chaos. Ooh-hoo-hoo. A new professor. We can't wait to see what's going to happen. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. And he couldn't have figured out how to break the curse. Look, again, I love the revolving door of DADA professors, but come on. And thank you for doing all this math.
1: You know, this also made me just realize that you know a lot of the people who were taught by these revolving door professors ended up fighting in that first war against Voldemort. So a lot of students, not a whole, like not a crazy amount, but definitely some would have had less than adequate defense against the dark arts education, and therefore they were not able to battle the big dark (laughs) arts bad guy.
2: Oh my gosh! I never <laughs> thought dark, about that before. Upsetting thought, yeah.
0: I just wonder. Oh, the- th- so, if there's twenty nine to thirty one, how many of those died? Like, how many of them were just like, "Bye," I'm like, I'm leaving for X, Y, or Z reasons. Versus how many of them were cursed to death? So that's my question. Isn't, is that a big question? I don't. Yeah. Again, you would think security a handful.
2: Problems.
1: You, would, I, think, I, you would think there might be a problem after like it happens four or five times.
0: Security nightmare.
2: <laughs> and it all. And the, the, it begs the question: Why do these people even volunteer for the job? Do they think they're going to break the curse? Especially after so many. No way. I'm not joining that school after 30 have gone through.
0: <laughs> it's like dating a fuck boy. It's like, ah, uh, I can be the one to change him. That's what this is like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like nobody like actually knows that it's cursed, but you would definitely think something's up after. I'll be given the benefit of the doubt and say after the first 10.
2: <laughs> or you ask Dumbledore, like, hey, wh- what happened to last year's professor, by the way? Like, why is this role open? What does he say? Oh, yeah. No, I decided it wasn't (laughs) for you or something.
1: During the interview process, you know, like when you interview with a company and then you get the job and then you start it and then you realize like, oh my God, this is completely different than anything I thought. And I kind of got a little like bait and switch here. Yeah, that's exactly what that position is with
2: Dumbledore. Oh, this is why that role is open. Maybe the pay is really, really good. And of course, teaching in Hogwarts probably looks good in the resume. So at least I would feel that way. So maybe they wanted it for the resume at the least.
1: Andrew, would you, knowing that there have been, let's say, 25 previous people in that role in 25 years, would you try to take the job?
2: You know, now that I heard this fuckboy analogy, I, I, yes. (laughs) Yes. I get it now. No. 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 Knowing everything, no. Would you two?
0: I would probably I'd be like, you sure it. Charms
1: isn't available? Can you just put yeah, me on the right. wait list for that position?
2: I have like a custodial position. Can I be the security guard? I think your school's a security nightmare. Security yeah. consultant at Hogwarts? <laughs>
0: they need one. They desperately need one of those. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Lexi, would
1: Speaking, you do it? Uh, when you say that analogy, I mean, probably. I would want any excuse to go back to Hogwarts, I'll be honest. Like, I, it would be really yeah. hard for me to leave
0: there.
2: I'm really liking this idea of security consultant at Hogwarts now, by the way. I might need to make this my unofficial job title going forward.
0: I, oh my God, please. I so. <laughs> yes. We can write you, write you a letter of recommendation.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of like a little name badge too, like security <laughs> consultant.
0: You know, like the FBI, they can like flash their badge real quick and like get into it. Right. Because like, that's what this would be like. So as we're talking about security and we've talked
1: about some plot holes and things like that, there is the question about why couldn't Harry bow out of the tri wizard tournament. And I read something that actually made a lot of sense. And putting your name into the Goblet of Fire and thus being chosen is its own form of the Unbreakable Vow. And if you remember, the Unbreakable Vow is what Snape and Narcissa do to support and help Draco in his quest to kill Dumbledore. And you die if you break your vow with that. And so I'm starting to think that Harry really didn't have a choice because otherwise he would some way, shape, or form die.
2: You say it's a form of the unbreakable vow, but really what does it mean? What is this agreement that is being made? <laughs> so he's either gonna die by violating the this supposed unbreakable vow or die by dragon fire. I like that you bring this up because this has been on my mind, we're approaching it in our chapter by chapter series. What bothers me is that Dumbledore and others didn't just put their foot down and say no. We also see in Gobbled of Fire the other headmasters are livid that Hogwarts is going to be getting an advantage with Cedric and Harry competing, whereas the other As schools just should. As they should, yes. Right?
1: Like I, we would all be really pissed off too.
2: <laughs> that alone should disqualify Harry, I think, because that is so unfair.
1: But that's what makes it. Where the only reason that he can't be disqualified is because he would essentially drop dead. I do like the idea that the
0: other two schools should have gotten an extra contestant. Yes. I want the guy who had like all the
1: food dribbling down and that Karkaroff like kept scolding. I wish he would have died at the dragon. He would
0: have been dead <laughs> <laughs> so quick.
2: And I think in Gobble of Fire, we get a peek inside Harry's head when this happens. And I think there's something that encourages him to actually go forward with this instead of being like i don't want to be involved so it's kind of explained a little bit Mm -hmm. if my memory serves correct and the other thing to consider is for the plot blah 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 but i don't know i still think there should have been a way to disqualify him prove somehow that he actually didn't put his name in that's unfair too
1: you would think that when he gets the paper and was it said that it was written under the name of a different school So when Dumbledore reads Harry Potter, it should also say what school he's with. That was my understanding.
2: You Hmm. know what I'm excited about for the TV show? If they're going to do right by the whole Dumbledore said calmly thing, because that's been a meme for a really long time. If they write the wrongs there, you'll know that the writers on this show pay attention to what fans are talking about online. (laughs) If they don't.
0: stupid. It'd be so stupid if they have whoever plays Dumbledore. Here's what I, I heard, and I don't have this confirmed, but Michael Gambon, RIP, did not read any of the Harry Potter books that's so true he, because he didn't read any of the books he didn't know Dumbledore's playful nature he didn't know Dumbledore's calm nature he only knew Dumbledore right. as like Dumbledore it was a very one-note portrayal that is my he- small high horse I will step off of
2: no I think you're onto something there also that movie was directed by Mike Knoll. He only directed yeah. one Harry Potter movie. I had heard that he was kind of like not the best director for the the actors. Like he kind of had like a kind of like an angry personality on mm-hmm. set. I heard once or twice. So I think that's where Michael Gambon's acting came through. Like I would blame Mike Knoll for that. Yeah. And I have to also say because Michael Gambon keeping in mind that he didn't read the books. It is all the more impressive in my opinion. His Dumbledore portrayal in movies six and seven and even in what we see of him in eights because I think he played Dumbledore brilliantly in those movies and he hadn't even read the book so he got some great direction and there's some Great writing going on there too.
0: I think the last it was the last four movies because it was the fifth movie on was directed by David Yates. I wished I would love to see David Yates directing all of the movies and what that would have done to the story. It would have been very very different. However, I will say the TV show I have very high hopes for it because you're able to spend so much more time with these characters. Yes, yes, I'm so excited. I'm so just taking it season by season, and I do think that
1: the writers. very much like Hogwarts Legacy the people who created Hogwarts Legacy you can tell how much they just love this world and it really is just an appreciation for this world. If you walk through Hogwarts like I seriously started crying the first time I walked through Hogwarts and I'm not the most emotional between the two of us and it was just like so breathtaking and the attention to detail and they were writing some of the things that were not portrayed as well in the movies and it was kind of like their homage to the series and I definitely think that it's going to carry over into the tv series in a very similar way of the people who are creating it have such a love and such an appreciation and celebration for the story and want to keep it true to its nature
2: hell yeah and i'm hoping that warner brothers sees the reaction to hogwarts legacy Because of the points that you're making, everybody loved the attention to detail, true fans working on it. I hope they see that. I hope they remember that when they're working on the TV show. What did people love about Hogwarts Legacy? People didn't love Fantastic Beasts. What did they love about Hogwarts Legacy? Okay, more of that, please. Yes. Get it oh, right, Warner so. Brothers. Ah. Fingers crossed. I'm nervous and excited.
1: I'm just excited because like, friends, you know, like I have two young kids and it's like, I think that it's going to be the, the version of Harry Potter that they grow up with. And I am so yes. excited to see my kids grow up with this series. And oh my gosh, I really hope that they love it because if they don't, we're going to have some serious problems.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on, y'all, you're following the book. I mean, you have it right there. Let's, I know. You can't, can't screw this up. It's right there in front of you. You know what to do.
0: And it's HBO. So we know. they got the money. Yes. (laughs) Except they will make wyverns instead of dragons but I've actually accepted it and it's fine. (laughs) All right so
1: now even though the series is over it wouldn't be us fantasy fangirls without some theory discussion and there are some wild Harry Potter theories out there you all like absolutely wild and so much fun to talk about and we can say with a lot of certainty that a lot of these are not
0: necessarily accurate but you know what it's fun to talk about anyway let's start off with a fun one so this theory is that Crookshanks was the Potter's family cat let's start with what the heck is this theory we know that the Potters had a cat when they were killed that mysteriously disappeared so the theory is that Crookshanks was the Potter's cat and it came back into Harry's life through Hermione now there is a lot of supporting evidence for this theory number one Crookshanks noticed is Peter Pettigrew for the rat bastard, pun intended, that he is right away. He also warms up to Harry very quickly. He also recognizes and is all buddy-buddy with Sirius, and I'm assuming Sirius hung out at the Potters quite a lot, giving Crookshanks a lot of times to get to know him. And also the owners of the Magical Menagerie say that Crookshanks has been there for, quote, quite some time, like 12 years, quite some time. What are your thoughts, (laughs) friends? Andrew, you kick us off.
2: I really like this theory. I like to think that, you know, I just I'm so sad about Harry, you know, growing up without parents. Obviously, he has family through the Weasleys. But this idea that actually there was a sort of direct family member living amongst him this entire time, kind of keeping a careful eye on him. I'm also thinking of Fig watching him from across yep. the streets. Fig being a cat person. I don't know this. At least this all connects somehow. I'll accept this one as canon.
1: I I also accept this one as canon. Like, this is definitely one of, I'll say, my favorite little theories here. We also know that Crookshanks is half-neasle, which is a magical cat-like creature that is highly intelligent. So as a magical creature, I imagine that they can live longer, too, and they can find their way back to who they need to protect, like Harry from Wormtail.
0: I've bought into this theory so much that I basically have stake in it now. I love (laughs) this theory so much. It's canon we need andrews it's canon
2: it's i declare canon there's a crookshank stuffed animal i think you should because you have so much ownership in this you should buy a crookshank stuffed animal and put like a little name tag on and that says like crookshank's potter or something like oh my that.
0: god i love that i will do that that yes that is exactly what i'm doing
2: I don't own one of those myself, but I've seen them at like the Wizarding World theme parks, and they look quite cuddly.
0: I'll just get an actual orange cat and name it Crookshanks,
2: and just be like,
0: "She's my husband." Nicole, you can't. Your husband's allergic to cats.
2: (laughs) So this next one: Harry, Voldemort, and Snape mirror the three Peveril brothers, while Dumbledore represents death. So this theory goes that each of these characters represent those in the tale of the three brothers. Voldemort was the first brother who died because of power. All he cared about was gaining more power, whether through testing the dark possibilities of magic and going after the Elder Wand. Also, power was the most important thing to him, ultimately, the only important thing. And he sought out Harry for revenge, much like the first brother sought out an enemy who had wronged him. Snape was the second brother who died for love. He spent his life mourning the loss of dead Lily Potter, unable to fully join the living and live his life. Everything he did was because of his love for her, because of her death. A similar tragic tale to the second brother who killed himself to join the woman he loved and lost and harry was the third brother who greeted death as an old friend he was prepared to die he understood death couldn't be beat it was to be embraced as part of life but only after truly living life and protecting those you love and then meanwhile we mentioned dumbledore representing death who knew the lust for power would be the downfall of the first brother or voldemort and knew that the second brother would do anything for his dead love as he, like Snape, lived between worlds. Then Dumbledore literally greets Harry like an old friend, like the third brother and death do in King's Cross after Voldemort sort of kills Harry. I also would note that we see a lot of cyclical plot developments in the series. On MuggleCast, we often, we have a segment called Connecting the Threads and we look at books one and seven, how they tie together. Two and six, three and five, and you see that things often are cyclical. So I like this from that perspective as well.
1: I love that you bring that up because I wholeheartedly agree about the cyclical plot themes in the series. And I love that it is central to the final book and it mirrors some of the central characters and their arcs just throughout the series. Like it's just like really beautifully ties them all in, not just in the seventh book, but how they represent themselves throughout the entire series. Like you were just saying with like books one and seven, books two and six, books books three and five as well right or yeah yeah yeah. and then four is its own masterpiece in and of itself
0: (laughs) i'd heard this theory in passing before but hearing it all like laid out i was getting like chills as you were reading andrew so i'm Mm. i'm here for this especially since the author has given it a thumbs up i this canon in my head this is absolute canon (laughs) i declare canon
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thunderbolt.
0: <laughs> so there's another theory
1: that the Dursleys were so abusive and terrible to Harry because of the Horcrux within him. The idea behind this theory is that, plain and simple, the Dursleys' cruelty towards Harry is just off the charts. I think we can all agree on that. What would have been begrudging care for a nephew they did not want morphed into hatred, anger, and abuse because Voldemort's latched piece of soul influenced their feelings and behavior. So the supporting evidence for this theory is that we know Horcruxes take advantage of those it touches, and, more specifically, those who are emotional vulnerable to its will. The House Slytherin's necklace affected Harry, Ron, and Hermione, but specifically Ron because he was already thinking unpleasant thoughts. Now, the Dursleys, they did not want to raise Harry. They disassociated from Harry's parents and believed the magical world was innately bad because it embodied the opposite of their beliefs and values. So by living and being cared for by the Dursleys, and I say cared for very loosely because Harry was still alive and healthy by his 11th birthday, the Horcrux was in close proximity and feeding off their foundational negative emotions. This is what led them to straight up abuse Harry and hate him at the level that they did, compounding over his childhood years. After Harry goes to Hogwarts and spends extensive time away from the Dursleys, therefore relieving them of the Horcruxes' pull, they gradually get a little bit better, right? Vernon backs off from the abuse and he treats Harry more like an adult. Dudley reconciles with Harry in his own way and Petunia almost wishes him luck and admits her feelings of jealousy. This shift in their relationship can be attributed to no longer being influenced by the Horcrux because Harry didn't live with them year round anymore or really more than a month out of each year. When I first read this, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's crazy. Now, the counter argument to this theory is, of course, that the Horcrux inside Harry has nothing to do with the Dursleys' relationship to him. Well, I'll go through some of the counter points for this one here. The Dursleys had a strained and distant relationship with the Potters already and they hate magic and all that the Wizarding World represents. Petunia's complex feelings toward it are born out of jealousy from her childhood And then she married a man who holds her same narrow beliefs. And plus, he immediately got off on the wrong foot with James. That's a fun fact. They all had dinner. They had a double date together. James had some cocky stuff that he said to Vernon. Vernon didn't like him. They got into it and then they stormed out and they hated each other after that. Then suddenly the Potter's one-year-old son is just randomly dropped off on their doorstep. He's completely unannounced and in so many ways they are forced to take Harry in. I have a one and a half year old daughter and can assure you that adding another to your life, especially in that Wade would turn anyone's life upside down. In fact, yes, when my son was one and a half, I had a daughter and... It is a lot. (laughs) I'll say that. Of course, they're going to be pissed off and that naturally translates to how the Dursleys treat Harry. So sure, it's not his fault, but he is the obvious scapegoat that is the living, breathy embodiment of what the Dursleys hate. So I'm not defending their actions and behavior towards Harry, but I am looking at this from their point of view. There is no need for the Horcrux to influence how they felt about Harry. It's just right there in front of them. And when it comes to the Dursleys for lack of a better word better relationship with Harry over the years Harry asserts himself with Vernon which over time shifts to how his uncle engages with him Dudley saw himself for who he really is during the Dementor attack and that was a pivotal point in his life that's why he had kind of like that very interesting shift in his personality he saw what he was most terrified of which was who he really and truly is the pompous spoiled brat that he is and then Petunia her inner child who longed to go to Hogwarts was always underneath just deep, deep, deep down. So the last thing I'll say on this is that Harry is in close proximity to a lot of people throughout the years. And for the most part, they all have positive relationships with him. Let's use Ron as the glaring example. He spends more time with Harry than anyone. And as revealed plenty of times, he has a lot of frustrations about living in his best friend's shadow. But with the exception of a month in their fourth year, he doesn't falter in his loyalty and his goodness to Harry until another Horcrux actually influences him in Deathly Hallows. So if this theory were true, more people, specifically Ron and Hermione, would have a more strained relationship with Harry.
2: I think this is one of my favorite types of theories, how a Horcrux potentially interferes or influences how people are acting around Harry with Harry carrying that Horcrux within him. Another example of this, and this is a theory, this isn't confirmed to my knowledge, but in chapter 13 at Goblet of Fire, Trelawney asks Harry if he was born in winter, which is wrong. Harry was born July 31st, but Voldemort was born in winter. He was born the 31st of December. So there's a theory that maybe Trelawney was actually being influenced by the Horcrux when she asked Harry if he was born in winter. Because... I just also think it's kind of embarrassing that Trelawney would get that wrong when that's so easy for her to look up. Like,
0: (laughs) I have a theory that Trelawney is actually a damn good teacher and everyone is just giving her so much shit for like getting things wrong, but... Everything she says is either foreshadowing or accurate, like you're saying here. She does get some way. things
2: right. Yeah, she does get some things right. I love her as a teacher because it's fun to read all of her stuff and all of her predictions, and then you think about, oh, is this actually true? We just don't find out until later. Hermione would not agree with you, of course. No, she, she despises would not. Trelawney.
1: Trelawney, we were talking about their salaries. I feel like she definitely needs a pay raise, whatever she's getting paid, because she's using cooking sherry as like her booze of choice, and I. <laughs> think she can do a little bit better than that like come on <laughs> let's get this girl something from the three Broomstick. she needs something better. what if she's
0: just a super cheapskate and she sneaks into the kitchens with all the house elves I'm assuming they use cooking sherry a lot for food and stuff like that and she just doesn't want to spend money she's just a super frugal you know, person
2: I mean that's me I love the Kirkland signature vodka whiskey gin like I, well, I proudly on. display that in my kitchen
1: well Kirkland is totally different because that is just the best of the the best no
2: matter what. <laughs> I guess, fair enough, fair enough. I also like to think that maybe both of these elements can be true, that the Horcrux is at play in terms of the Dursleys' treatment. It's just maybe elevating what's already there. The Dursleys are bad people to Harry, period. Like, There's no debate around that, Horcrux or not. But maybe it's elevating things a little slightly, especially with how much time they do spend with Harry over the summer in close proximity. And they already do want to treat him poorly. So the Horcrux just kind of pushes that further. Yeah, It takes advantage of their dislike.
1: That's the word. I like that. That's the canon. It takes advantage of it.
2: So this next theory is a favorite of Lexi's, even if it's been confirmed false after it first came about around the sixth book and before we learn Dumbledore's full backstory. Ron is a young, time-traveling Dumbledore. (laughs) So... To explain the reasoning behind this truly wild but fun theory that Dumbledore is the grown-up version of Ron due to tricks of time travel, let's look at some evidence here. Dumbledore and Ron share physical characteristics. They're both tall and thin with long noses and red hair. Well, Dumbledore's was Auburn when he was younger. Dumbledore has a scar on his left leg and Ron broke that leg at the end of their third year. Ooh, that's a good little connection. Both characters love sweets. And Dumbledore said he loved Bertie Botts' Every Flavor Beans since he was young, except that Bertie wasn't born until 1935 when Dumbledore was middle-aged. Both characters have a great sense of humor. They're both funny. You read these books, read them again, and you're like, oh, damn, maybe the movie's kind of robbed ron of of a lot of the humor but you read the books you're like oh he's actually pretty funny at least this is the thought that runs through my head all the time (laughs) also dumbledore has a ridiculously high awareness of everything that goes on in harry ron and hermione's lives even after he dies so maybe you know he is aware of everything because he is ron for instance he knew to give ron the deluminator because he knew he would abandon his friends but want to come back The solution to Dumbledore knowing all this, he already lived through these events himself. There is also confirmation in the books that Ron and Dumbledore have never been alone together. So how would Dumbledore know Ron so well? I think Lexi
0: this
1: is one of my fun my favorite unhinged theories because for lack of a better word it really stopped my scroll and like I love a good theory that can stop the scroll and have really fun evidence and accurate evidence to back it up now of course we know it's not true the biggest thing being the big difference in their families that we learn about in book seven but it gets your mind thinking outside the box and like I said I love it when unhinged theories do that
2: Yes. Can I ask about this phrase, stop my scroll? You mean like scrolling through a social media feed and like catches your eye? What do you mean by this?
1: Yeah. Or like if I'm like looking on Reddit or like if I'm just kind of, I'll say consuming content, I tend to skim a theory here and there and then decide you know if I keep reading into it and this was one that definitely called yeah stopped my scroll where it made me stop what I I was doing and really focus in on it and especially when we see so many Iron Flame and Fourth Wing theories and now getting into Akatar and Crescent City and all the theories in Theory Land, there are certain ones that really do stop you in your tracks and make you go wait a second and then just (laughs) dive right on down that rabbit hole and the next thing you know it's three hours later and it's like oh (laughs) my god
2: (laughs) that's a great phrase i love it for the alliteration stop the scroll
0: feels very gen z you know yes oh you're so cool i'm not gonna lie i even though this has been confirmed to be not true i'm so here for this i (laughs) like if i were to reread the series now with this in mind i feel like it would be it wouldn't be a different book or book series by any means but it would feel so much more fun and nuanced and i'm here for it i love it
1: Especially because Dumbledore knows everything. Like, that's his whole MO, is that he knows everything. And it is a great explanation Except about how Quarl he Except that Quirrell is
0: Voldemort. Yeah, that's true. That.
1: <laughs> so, he a big, those big guys. Or what a basilisk, you oh know. And God. yeah, there, there are those aspects that he does not know.
2: <laughs> this also just makes me think about how Dumbledore and Harry have a great relationship and friendship. And If I try to apply this theory to the books, I'm also thinking about how Dumbledore just wanted to experience life with Harry and going through Hogwarts with Harry and the fun of being a Hogwarts student again. So he decided to time travel and become Harry's best friend, Ron. Because
1: he knew that he needed a friend. I love that idea. Yeah. That's cute. That's real
0: sweet. I like that. (laughs) So the next theory is also quite unhinged. It's also around Dumbledore. And that is Dumbledore created a horcrux. And this is from Super Carlin Brothers on YouTube. Thank you, Super Carlin Brothers. So what is this theory? It is that Dumbledore, in his despair after the death of his sister Ariana, created a horcrux because he could not handle the emotional pain of losing this family member, the like basically last family member except for Aberforth. So what would his horcrux? Horcrux be then? And the answer is Fox. So who would he have killed if he decided to create a Horcrux? And that is Ariana. We don't know who killed Ariana in the great duel between Grinwald Dumbledore, and Aberforth. And if Dumbledore did in fact kill Ariana, he would have created a Horcrux. Here is the argument for this theory. The line from Dumbledore to Harry where he says, quote, feeling this deeply means you're still a man. I love this still a man. The big thing here is like Dumbledore is not still a man or at least a whole man because he, in desperation to not feel this deeply, decided to nix a part of his soul. Dumbledore's distaste also for Horcruxes was not only because of Voldy Voldemort, it was also because of his own experience creating Horcruxes and how he dislikes them for that reason. Dumbledore also mentions in this wildly short explanation about assuming Nagini is the sixth Horcrux, he basically is like, Voldemort has quite a bit of control over the creature and like, period, that was the end of that. He was <laughs> like, yep, poor crux, absolutely. Now, if we're using the same realm of logic, Fox also seemed to have quite a bit of a mind of their own or they were being controlled to always show up at the right moment for Harry. Almost like Dumbledore always has control over Fox to go and do whatever he needs him to do, see the Chamber of Secrets ending. Now you might be asking, however, how did Dumbledore fully die if Fox is still alive and well doing its Phoenix song at the end of Half-Blood Prince? There is a small explanation for this and that is Fox, earlier on in the series, Dumbledore mentions that he swallowed a killing curse for Dumbledore and died But because he's a phoenix, he was resurrected. So basically, that was the destroying of the Horcrux. So Unhinged theory land. what are your guys' thoughts?
2: To create a Horcrux is a very dark step and decision. And for that reason alone, I don't like the idea of my boy Dumbledore, a.k.a. (laughs) time-traveling Ron, doing this. It just doesn't seem like something he would do. It's not in his character, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And across the series, well, especially towards the later books, we're seeing... Dumbledore still learn about the process of Horcrux and what Horcruxes are and creating them and all that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not into the theory personally. I appreciate the details and all that and hearing this, but I don't declare this one canon.
1: I originally was thinking that it would be maybe in line with his earlier years just because he does have that moral grayness to him. However, I do agree that, it yeah, it, it doesn't ultimately fall in line with Dumbledore's character Dang, it's another one where it's like, oh, like that, that evidence does like, because there are some theories where like the evidence just doesn't line up. And this one, it does line up. And I just, again, I love it when the theories do that and make you think about it in a different way.
0: I am going to agree with both of you and say, I like where this theory is going. However, I'm going to go with a nah on it. My biggest thing is if this was the case, Why the fuck wouldn't Dumbledore just be like, here's how you create and destroy Horcrux? One, two, three stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, you know, he's always the teacher who he's the golden teacher who's always like, let me give you the breadcrumbs, but you come to the answers on your own. I think about like Professor Devera is really good at that as well in Battle Brief. But I just feel like he would have given him a little something extra if he had been personally a h- creator of a horcrux. So I'm going to go with a no on this one. However, I saw that and I was like, this is fun. This is a fun theory.
1: <laughs> well, going to stay in line here with our unhinged theories, because here's another one. Hagrid was an undercover Death Eater all along. The and there y'all are, are just- sick.
2: <laughs> I know. Dumbledore and Horcruxes, Hagrid, a Death Eater. What's going on? You trapped me in the show.
1: There is just an abnormal amount of things that Hagrid does that actually aid Voldemort. A Redditor called Whoop created this masterful essay on this theory. And I'm actually going to link it in the show notes because it is just like chef's kiss. It is unbelievable. And I'm going to do my best to highlight just like a small part of it here because it is insane insanely long so Hagrid exhibits surprisingly decent magical abilities, despite supposed to only have a third year magical educational level. He also hints to knowing what came of Voldemort when explaining that Harry's a wizard and what happened 10 years ago, getting rather specific with his phrasing about Voldemort using a horcrux. I'm just going to quote this whole part here. Some say he died. wallop, in my opinion. <laughs> Don't know if he had enough human left in him to die. Most of us reckon he's still out there somewhere, but lost his powers. Too weak to carry on. And Voldemort later says to his Death Eaters and Goblet of Fire, quote, they who knew the steps I took long ago to guard myself against mortal death, they who had seen proofs of the immensity of my power in the times when I was mightier than any wizard alive, that's a lot more big words than Hagrid used, but it still mirrors <laughs> what he said. And Hagrid, we, I gotta say this: I love my guy Hagrid. Don't get me wrong, but he's actually a little cruel to Muggles, specifically Dudley Dursley, and he gives him a tail, which should be an Azkaban offense. This shows Hagrid is a little bit more capable than he lets on, like I said a little bit ago, about having more advanced magical abilities than a third year, and he has blatant disregard for wizarding laws and the safety of muggles. I will actually say, most wizards have blatant disregard for the safety of muggles, even if they have good intentions. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Arthur Weasley.
0: See our episode of Muggle Cast (laughs) for Goblet of Fire Chapter 7, where we
1: discuss
0: this at length.
1: (laughs) Hagrid also subtly manipulates Harry into putting him in these cross hairs of Voldemort's minions or even Voldemort himself. You know, they see Quirrell at the Leaky Cauldron when he first comes to Diagon Alley, and he literally takes Harry into the Forbidden Forest where Harry sees Voldemort for the first time, or I guess second time since he was a kid. Hagrid also shares secret security information directly with Voldemort. Again, this is all just in book one here. Was he just drunk, or did he wittingly share secrets and just kind of keep that to himself, having been fully complicit in revealing security-related information in exchange for a valuable and highly desired prize? Then we learn that Voldemort and Hagrid actually did know each other when they were students. Could he be one of Voldemort's oldest associates that Voldemort just totally threw under the bus because, hey— Voldemort will do that even to his closest buddies. Like, seriously, though, like, this theory essay goes on and on and on, like, through every single one of the books and what Hagrid does that supports the Hagrid is a Death Eater theory. They have the stop receipts. <laughs> 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 I'm going to stop here instead of go through all of that evidence because you get the point. But anyway, I again, I love Hagrid. I do not think that this is actually a true theory, but... Again, I'm a sucker for a really good essay about these unhinged theories.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of these points really do make you think. Like the one you brought up, him being cruel to muggles, whether it's Dudley or others. Like Because of Hagrid's relationship with Harry over the years, it just hurts my soul to think that he would be a Death Eater undercover. So I cannot accept this. However, very well reasoned.
0: I, I do agree with you. <laughs> I am one of those people who actually really does not like Hagrid. Keeps doing these things that just let, like, like sharing deep, dark secrets with Voldemort is maybe not the smartest thing in the world. He, in my opinion, he has a heart of gold. He's very kind. Yeah. But he maybe doesn't use his heart of gold and his brains in a way that, this is also like the like wing Ravenclaw in me, where it's like, Be brave, but also be smart about it, you know? And I don't think that Hagrid really embodies the be smart about it. Now, when he... uh, Actually, no, I'm going to bring up one more point why I don't like Hagrid. He brings Grop back and has two children look after him and he's like you're fine it'll be great and he's like covered in bruises and like i just think he he's a little tunnel vision and i understand his love of magical creatures i think it's very great it's very admirable love that but i don't think he mirrors that with also being considerate of those around him see every single uh care of magical creatures class that he taught
2: so this is what i was going to give you he's not a good teacher he should no. never have taught, but we can put this on, on Dumbledore, too. Like, this is not all Hagrid's fault. He's trying his best. He wants to teach. He seems to like it. But yeah, he's a terrible teacher. He's that terrible That's my teacher. main gripe
1: with him. There was that one class that was like salamanders that was like a like they were or, or there were like a few good classes or like the nifflers or something like that where it's like it's like he's got it in him but that was him. after
0: umbridge was basically like no more <laughs> like it took umbridge for him to become a decent teacher <laughs> no that was in the Fourth one. That was before oh, Umbridge. Oh, then never mind. I thought that was in book five. <laughs> and here's my deal. when It's like Hagrid, you know, and the like, bringing him to the Dursleys and like, carrying him on the motor. Anytime Hagrid's on the motorcycle, he's just a decent dude. Every time. Other than that, I just don't feel like I, I agree with him and his the things he stands for. But does mm. that mean he does not have a heart of gold? Of course not. He does. I just don't think he has the brains to back it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, I think you in particular need to go read this Reddit theory. <laughs> Honestly, I, and, well, that brings me to my point. I like this theory for that reason. Because if he was just being an idiot because he was undercover the entire time, I love it. I'm so here uh, okay. for that. <laughs> and that all tracks too, <laughs> tra- because of
2: course, there's a lot of undercover people getting into hogwarts so it wouldn't surprise us if he was just another one
0: exactly yeah. exactly
1: <laughs> well well that's it for at least our unhinged theories let's talk about some of like the smaller fun ones that i love this one that you have right here andrew
2: <laughs> yeah i saw this recently it it stuck with me of course valentine's day is coming up that's why i wanted to throw this into teenage wizards break up with each other via howler And you just imagine those screaming messages. Plus, we know, and it is canon, that the howler does get louder if you don't open it, and it could explode. So it's just a pretty epic way to break up with somebody, especially if they deserve that. Like you find out they were cheating on you or they betrayed you in some other way. A howler being sent to them in like the Great Hall during breakfast, that'd be a pretty epic breakup. And maybe they had that type of breakup coming where you get embarrassed and everybody hears every detail of the other person's gripes with you. I
0: was so I was skimming the outline before we started this and it was like last night or something and I was reading this as I was taking a sip of water and I spat my water out everywhere and just started laughing. I love this
2: theory. Absolutely. I'm glad you like it.
0: All right. The last theory that I have here is that there
1: is indeed a Hogwarts gym for those teenagers that want to work out. Because if you think about it, there's nowhere for teenagers to work out except like walking from one point of Hogwarts to the other because, oh my gosh, there's a lot of stairs there. But I believe that there is a Hogwarts gym and it is on the seventh floor across from the tapestry of Barnabas the Barney. Do so you get it's the it?
0: room of requirement? It's the yes. room of requirement? Uh. Yes. But there's like a
1: jock, like people who really like going to the gym. I don't know if that many teenagers are like that, but yes. And... Yeah. They- Go shaking her, and, like,
0: no, not me. And they're all like, "Well,
1: yeah, obviously." And they all have like the secret club where, yes, they know exactly where the Hogwarts gym is, and it is actually the room of requirement, but they don't even know it because it's just the Hogwarts gym to them.
0: I like, I this like theory.
2: it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, I'd probably be satisfied with just all the steps I was getting in, getting around right? the castle. I'm, I'm one of those people who's like, if I can replace cardio at the gym with a long day of walking, I'll take that. I think that's a great way to clear your head too. I could definitely imagine, I remember being in high school and there was a gym that people could use if they wanted to. And there were kids who definitely enjoyed that. I guess they were in in a sports league too, maybe, so they had to, but there's definitely younger kids who want to work out. And Hogwarts is, I'm sure there's some students who want to Get shredded. Oh, just think oh, yeah. about all
1: the food too. I mean, like those are there are yeah. some quite rich meals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, I also yeah. think
0: about riding a broom. I would imagine that would require quite a bit of core. Exercises oh, That would yes. require yes. quite a bit of core strength. That would be my version of working out. I would just write a broom everywhere. because that would, like, <laughs> much more I, My head is just still so in
1: Buscaith where like our characters are like always having to like go to the gym and like weight class or not weight class. And like, you know, like do like with weight training and like really yeah. got to work those muscles so that she has a rock hard ass for Zayton. <laughs> and yeah. I just I got to wonder, like, where's Hogwarts gym, too?
2: And speaking of Quidditch, if you're a beater, you got to have some nice biceps, yes. nice, some oh, nice yeah. arms to hit those balls. Balls
0: absolutely yes indeed <laughs> alright
1: friends well that is it for our bonus episode about Harry Potter specifically unhinged theories and insights and fun facts we are so thankful that Andrew joined us from MuggleCast thank you so much Andrew plug all the MuggleCast things where can people find oh you and like Millennial you a show, all of your things Millennial, yeah everything.
2: I meant to mention Millennial earlier so thanks for asking yeah MuggleCast.com of course you can search for MuggleCast M-U-G-L-E-C-A-S-T in your favorite podcast app i also do a podcast called millennial and we talk about as the name might imply millennial topics our own lives as millennials pop culture politics all of that that's at millennialshow.com or just search for millennial in your podcast app that's m-i-l-l-e-n-n-i-a-l so yeah muggle cast of millennial that's where you can find me we do we do each podcast weekly just like fantasy fangirls And then I'm Andrew Sims on Instagram. That's the other place I would plug. Other than that, yeah. It's been awesome being on. I love you too. I'm so happy for you and proud of you. Like I'm so excited for what the future holds for fantasy fangirls too.
0: Oh, thank thank you. you. It was so You're fun welcome. having you on today. This was perfect. <laughs> yeah, this was a blast. Well, speaking
1: of the future of fantasy fangirls in the very near future, the next episode we are covering is chapters 61 through 64 of Iron Flame. It's the second to last deep dive that we're doing there before we get to Violet's second signet. And then we are moving on to
0: Akatar book one on February 26th.
2: Ooh, congratulations.
0: We're so excited. Thank you, as always, to our executive producer, Hayden, also friends of Andrew. That was amazing. He connected us. Thank you, thank you, Hayden. Thank you, Hayden. For being just the best person ever and our sanity manager. We love you. <laughs> And like we said at the top of the
1: episode, if you love Fantasy Fangirls and want more content, more community, please go ahead, join the Patreon party. The link is in the show notes or YouTube caption. Also, be
0: sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fantasy Fangirls Pod. And also, do not forget to rate and review the show. It takes five seconds to hit that five star button. And especially Andrew, the do it for Andrew. He was great here today. <laughs> and he deserves me. do it for Andrew. <laughs> he was wonderful here today. And he deserves that five star as well. And last but not least, share this episode with your fellow unhinged Harry Potter friends. If you've been wondering, if Crookshanks is the Harry Potter cat, as well as all these crazy unhinged theories that we talked about today, you now have a topic of conversation to share with them. So share this episode with your fellow Harry Potter friends.
1: Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. We will see you next time.
0: Bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone.